بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين اللهم لا سهل إلا ما جعلته سهلا وأنت تجل الحزن إذا شئت سهلا اللهم أعنا على ذكرك وشكرك وحسن عبادتك يا رب الكريم السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته brothers and sisters um, obviously you're going to be looking at this in a bit of surprise uh, and maybe even a bit sad that it's not a live session. Um, just circumstances didn't allow that. Uh, I've uh, had the unfortunate news, that my father-in-law passed away uh, two days, uh, three days. Uh, to be honest, I don't even know now. I believe it was Sunday. Yeah, anyway. Um, and the because it happened so kind of uh, all of a sudden, alayhi uh, rahmatullah, he um, lives in Pakistan, and uh, you would have seen, I hope you would have seen the webinar yesterday. I spoke a bit about him, rahmatullah, uh, a wonderful man, wonderful legacy. I'm speaking to you now from the village of Shabazgari in the district of Mardan. Okay, in the KPK region. This is his masjid, Masjid Abu Bakr. And uh, this is the masjid that I had my nikah in. This is the masjid of my mother's family as well. This is the local masjid of this uh, area. And, um, uh, and he was the Mu'adhin of this masjid and he was a great lover of this masjid. Anyway, I, I spoke about to, uh, him uh, yesterday in the webinar, a good ending, blessed exit, and um, as part of the whole fiqh of death kind of uh, situation. And uh, I really, if you didn't see it, I mean, if you're part of the class, then you'd have got the link to it anyway, but if you didn't see it, then uh, I highly encourage you to reflect on um, obviously Sheikh Wali's portion but just the story of how uh, and what his state was when he passed what were the actions and Nabi Sallallahu said right? you consider a person based upon their final reality it's not um, it doesn't matter about the beginnings it's a good ending right so anyway so um, uh, the, the time difference and the lack of electricity and stability and darkness and no lights and all the rest of it means I can't do a live. I was going to do it from Cairo. I had to come here from Cairo um, back next week in Chidun, inshallah. But we couldn't, unfortunately, pull off the live. So I'm sorry about that. You know, I, I, I actually myself, I don't mind these ones here and there because you get a lot covered. Um, and it makes it a lot easier upon me just to do a recorded one. But I know that we had a vote many times, asked you guys many times, and you guys do not like these recorded uh, lessons, and you like it to be live. And uh, that's fair enough. I get, I get where that comes from. And, uh, you know, I don't, I, ultimately, that's what you guys like, and I'm, I'm okay with that. It is cold, by the way. I know that it's, uh, it's bright. It's getting warmer, alhamdulillah, but it's freezing. Alhamdulillah that I dressed appropriately both for Egypt, which is also freezing at night time. And then in the KPK region, north of Pakistan, it's quite cold at this time. But alhamdulillah, beautiful days. The apricity of the sun. We are celebrating his life. We are not going to be upset. We're not going to be anything. I'm speaking to an audience of absolute zero. And the reason for that, oh, I left it inside, is because uh, I'm the only one in this masjid. And the reason for that is because I have opened it up and I've locked it behind me. So nobody will come in either. And this is because my father-in-law was the key holder. Well, I am blessed to have some good people in my life. You know, my father as well. May Allah protect him and preserve him and take him at the right time without pain and without torture and without long illness, Allahumma ameen. He's also a lover of the masjid, spends all his whole day in the masjid. These two are very close, actually, my father and father-in-law, which is not normal, right? 
It's not normal. Is it normal? I don't know if it's normal or not normal. I don't know where I made that statement up. Yesterday I made a stupid statement as well, by the way. If you saw the webinar, you would have seen that I said, I've seen my fair share of death. And when I said that, I thought to myself, what a cuff statement to make. As if like, you know, if you get more than a certain number, that's Allah being unfair, so I got my unfair share. You know, it's amazing how you don't think and you make statements and then you reflect upon it for one second and you realize how stupid you are. So, yeah, I just made another one there. Maybe that father-in-law and father-in-laws, I guess, shouldn't be close. But they were very similar, subhanAllah. Very, very similar. And obviously, they're, they're old and practicing patans and whatever. I mean, they share the same culture and stuff. But they, were, they like to be by themselves. They like to spend hours in the masjid. Love the masjid. Early, early, early. Come back late, late, late. And, um, but uh, my father likes to read, but he's not the most learned of men. Whereas my father-in-law was a deep reader and he was learned. My father was a simple man, is a simple man, been a laborer all his life, working class guy, great values. Whereas my father-in-law was a military officer, part of the army and traveled abroad and, and you know, worked abroad. And then he was a manager here. Then when he came back, uh, in one of these factories here, and then, uh, but he was a, uh, uh, he, 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 I found him deeply intellectual, loved the Quran, loved reading the tafsir, reading and making lots of tadabbur, and he used to write his own mushaf as well, something I didn't mention yesterday, in the mushaf that we showed that has gaps, we spoke about this a couple of years ago, you know, I bought a couple of the, the page, the, the line, uh, uh, Masahif that don't have any uh, writing in it at all, any Arabic script, nothing. Uh, some are traceable, so they've got like very faint there that you write over, and some are just empty. And I'm hoping that my kids will complete some of these in their lifetimes. Our teachers used to say that if you write the Quran five, six times, it won't be forgotten. Such a tough thing to do, but it really cements. You know, I mean, you know, you remember when you were studying for your exams, you'd write out your notes again, and I hope you do. I hope you did, and I hope you do, right? There's one thing, um, I mean, I said love doing that. When you're sitting in the lesson with your lecturer or your sheikh or the, the, whoever the teacher is, you write down as much as you possibly can using shorthand, using this, that, whatever, and then you get home and you rewrite your notes. I think that's what differentiates the, the best from the rest, you know? Because we're, we're not some, you know, the whole nature versus nurture kind of argument. I think everybody has a basic level. It's how you then have that discipline and nurture that takes you to the next level. I mean, I was very disciplined in these kind of things. I used to love, you know, I used to say that my notes were like a late women's notes. You know, women's notes in the university, all, you know, red lines and colors and multiple things and underline, whatever, whatnot. When you used to look at the lads, their notes were absolutely horrible. I used to love writing. You know, I'm an organized kind of OCD type guy and keep everything in order. My my. My father-in-law, alayhi rahmatullah, was a man, disciplinarian, very, very disciplined guy, very organized, army kind of uh, mindset. I said, love that about him. Love that myself. Wish, wish my wife took some from him. I wish my wife took many of his... Yeah, I hope that you, she sees this. Enough now. Three days of uh, mourning is done. Now it's time to start you know, taking those lessons in and making the next generation. But that's the problem. He's left a massive hole, man. Talking about that today. Who's going to step up to fill up that hole in the community? Or the master who's going to be the key holder now to open up the thingy? Although the Muaddin today, he was there on time, mashallah. Anyway, I've already spoken about it. I'm sorry to go off again. But it is important, man. And it's amazing. You know, let me tell you guys something. I don't mind telling you guys this. I don't think I made this public, but I'll tell you that the first time that I taught the fiqh of death, in a double weekend format was in Manchester and right in the middle, so double weekend would mean that we would do it the first weekend or weekend and then we would then take the break over the week and then start again the second weekend. And it was the first time that I taught it and it was a very special class. And, um, and my wife was heavily pregnant with Hiba, who was about to be coming soon, around that time, like a month off. And subhanAllah, you know, 
had been doing obviously the, this teaching and fiqh work for a long time, but to formulate it into a class, it hadn't happened yet. And that was a big thing for me, that, that launched that class and everything. And it made what the class is now, obviously the class is bigger now and more detailed. But I want you to think of the corollary here. February 2014 it was, and in between the class, my mother-in-law passes away. And it was very difficult, of course, for us and especially my wife, Omeiza. And um, being pregnant as well, heavily pregnant, I was you know, concerned about the whole thing. Alhamdulillah, she dealt with it really, really well. And um, this is possibly the last time that I'm teaching the fiqh of death. Ten years almost to the day, February 2024, ten years later, the last time that I'm teaching the fiqh of death, I'm right in the middle of the teaching of the fiqh of death. Yeah, it's been recorded and whatever, but it's got live sessions. We're doing the webinars, aren't we? I did a webinar last week. My father-in-law passes away. You know, certain things, you know, you think that, oh, man, you just keep on going banging on about promoting this, that, whatever, whatnot. You know, when I've been telling you guys, I got all of you, you need to go and tell everybody. I said that to you. I told you, I wrote, I wrote in an email as well. I'm obligating upon you folks to make sure that you study this class. If you can't afford it, apply for financial help. There's no excuses, man. You know, those who studied fitna with me remember that the biggest nonsense comes from people. They make so much rubbish excuses. I don't have teachers. There are no classes. There's no imams around. There's no help. I can't afford it. Or, you know, there's just lies and nonsense people make out to make an excuse for their own laziness and their own obsession with the dunya and, and mediocrity. Uh, you know, I'm not being harsh here. I really mean that. There are so many teachers around, so many classes around, so many circles around, but you're not around. And when you think of a reason to block it, you'll find that there are a hundred ways out, actually, but you're not interested. Like, you know, purchasing a class or there's sponsorship, there's, there's people out there, there are organizations that would be happy to pay. PG is a charity, by the way, prophetic guidance. One person came and said that can... Uh, we get funding for, we, we fund students of knowledge, we fund people abroad and at home. Myself and AZ and the Shura and whatever will, 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 you know, will look at individual situations. It's just nonsense, people chatting. People just chatting. So anyway, I said obligatory to study this class, unless you're a master of it yourself, and obligatory upon you to tell every single person that you know that they got to get the class. And they have it in their account for when they need it. There are so many issues, so many complexities, and all so important, and it's going to happen to everybody. It's not like maybe not, well, it is really. When I say that, I say that. And I say it whilst people are being, are passing in front of me, and that I know, and that I, I, I put this knowledge into use every day. I took, me and my wife went to the graveyard to pray our janazah for my father-in-law. Whilst we were there, we were, instructing people about, I want this changed, I want that done, I want this, I want that, this. This is what you've got to do. If you really do care for this, if you couldn't give up monkeys, then, 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 you know, obviously you don't do anything. That's fine. But if you do respect and honor the word of Allah and his wishes and his wish and uh, his, the instructions of the Prophet then either you know or you don't know. And if you don't know, then what's happening? Ah, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgive us all and forgive our deceased and have mercy upon them all, all of those that have passed recently, those who are passing from our families and our communities, those who are passing around the world, those who are passing at the hands of the mujrimeen, the kuffar, alayhim la'natullah, wa alayhim yastahiq fil dunya wal akhirah. But may Allah accept our shuhada, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala cure our sick and may Allah accept our deceased. Into his mercy, Allahumma ameen. All right. Page 16. وَلَا تَجِبُوا عَلَى مُسَافِرٍ سَفَرَ قَصْرٍ وَلَا عَبْدٍ وَمْرَأَةٍ وَمَنْ حَضَرَهَا مِنْهُمْ أَجْزَأَتْهُ وَلَمْ تَنْعَقِدْ بِهِ وَلَمْ يَصِحَ أَنْ يُؤَمَّ فِيهَا وَمَنْ سَقَطَتْ عَنْهُ لِعُذْرٍ وَجَبَتْ عَلَيْهِ وَنَقَ وَنَعَقَدَتْ بِهِ وَمَنْ صَلَّ ظُهْرَ مِمَّنْ عَلَيْهِ حُدُورُ الْجُمُعَةِ قَبَلَ الصَّلَاةِ الْإِمَامِ لَمْ تَصِحْ وَتَصِحُ مِمَّنْ لَا تَجِبُ عَلَيْهِ 
والأفضل حتى يصلي الإمام ولا يجوز لمن تلزمه السفر في يومها بعد الزوال So whoever was obligated to pray the Friday prayer uh, No sorry Whoever has an excuse to not pray it The Jum'ah prayer Is obligated to pray it If they attend Where am I reading from? One second Let's just read all of it It is not obligatory upon a traveller Who has the right of shortening his prayers Neither upon a slave nor a woman That's where we are, sorry Yep Is that where we are? Yes It is not obligatory upon a traveller Who has the right of shortening his prayers Neither upon a slave nor a woman Whoever attends the prayer Will have it accepted from them But they cannot be used to convene its legal validity Neither can they lead the prayer Whoever has an excuse to not pray it is obligated to pray it in brackets if they attend and they can be used to establish or convene the prayer's legal validity whoever was obligated to pray the friday prayer but instead offered the dhuhr prayer before the imam had prayed that juma prayer will invalidate their prayer meaning their dhuhr prayer however if one who is not obligated to pray the friday prayer does the same it will be valid even though it is better to delay their prayer until after the imam has prayed And finally It is not permissible for the one whom the Friday prayer is obligatory upon To travel after the start time of dhuhr On a Friday That's a lot of text And considering there be no questions and no discussion and no debate Because it's my sweet self And I I think we could do all of this Quite a few pages All right so it's not obligatory upon a traveler, we've done all that, okay? And neither upon the uh, 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 neither upon a lady or neither upon a slave. We've covered that previously and what, what we think about that, okay? But the most important thing is that it's not obligatory upon the traveler who travels the legal distance, okay? Who has the right of shortening his prayer. Safara musafirin, safara qasrin Right, the one who is allowed to do qasr Right So if a person was just to travel But, but it's not called traveling And go to like, you know, like from Manchester to Oldham for example This is not called journeying by any imagination By any stretch of the imagination And therefore this person is obligated to find the masjid to pray Obligated to pray Okay, um, or according to the Hanbalis, if a person travelled two hundred miles, but it was for haram reason to go and gamble or to go and meet a woman or something like that, whatever, yeah, then that journey was haram and therefore it's not the suffer of qasr that allows you to shorten the prayer according to the madhab. We spoke about that before. That this person also has to pray juma. And for example, if a person. Um, uh, if a person uh, 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 travelled the Qasr uh, uh, distance, okay, um, but he stayed in an area like we covered last week for like five days, and according to the Madhab, after four days, then you know you are muqim, you are neither a traveller or a resident, but you're you're, you're a temporary resident. Then this person has to pray Jumaa. Because of the folks establishing the Jum'ah Because of the community and the town establishing the Jum'ah Alright But whoever of all these people The musafir or the lady or the, the woman or a, a slave If they attend the Jum'ah Then it is accepted from them Okay If a question is asked How can it be accepted from them And they're not from the people who are obligated to go and Sheikh Uthameen says, well, actually, it's only been relieved from them as a, as a matter of ease, as a favor to them. It's not because they are not obligated. They are actually all, in principle, obligated, right? But then in recognition of their state and their situation, it has been lessened. Now, if that person ignores that, that concession or doesn't apply to them, like, for example, a musafir who's popped in, 
and the lady who is not busy at home, and the slave who doesn't need the permission of his owner, for example, then what's the issue? And so that's why when they attend and they pray, then they've chosen that for themselves, and the prayer is valid. Uh, yeah, but anyway, it's, it's, it's simply put, it's better, Sheikh Uthameen says, that it is acceptable for them to attend because they're following the imam. And if they follow the imam, some things are established because of what you're doing in the following of, of other people, because of them, which are not obligatory or not required if you are doing it by yourself. That's like a little a, a maxim that has a few applications. All right? So, yeah. And then they said, But if they do attend this lady and the slave and the thingy, that's great. They got a Jumu'ah prayer. They don't need to go home and pray Dhuhr. Remember, in the Hanafi school, you do. In the Hanafi school, they said that there's no such thing as a Jumu'ah upon a lady. So if she did attend because she wanted to hear the khutbah, she wanted to enjoy it, whatever, whatnot, she needs to go home and then pray Dhuhr because there's no valid legal prayer. What she did is a nafal, basically, with them. And this is not all the Hanafis say this, but it's a very popular opinion. But anyway, so it's not like miles off. The other scholars aren't miles off. Now, because... The Hanbalis are not a million miles off. They said, well, no, okay, she gets the Jum'ah. She doesn't need to repeat Zuhr at home. The Jum'ah is fine. But she's not one of the people that, that can establish that prayer's validity. Now, remember, we're going to come to this in a, next week, week after. That for the Jum'ah to be established, you need to, for a legal Jum'ah to occur, you need to have 40 people. And these 40 people must be people that the prayer is obligated upon. So that means straight off, it has to be 40 men. Can't have women amongst them. Okay. Next, they said, what about if there's 39 locals, uh, citizens, residents, and then there's one traveler? They said, no, because it's got to be 40 people that's obligated upon. 39 free people and one slave, no. It's got to be 40 obligated people. 40 males, resident, all free, all non-slaves, got to be permanent residents, permanent thingy. Then the Jumu'ah can be legally established. We're going to discuss that afterwards. But the point is, because some said two, some said four people, some said whatever. Point is, though, they said that if these people, woman, slave, and whatever, attend the prayer, they can have the prayer in their record, but they cannot be used to make up the minimum number of the threshold for the requirement of the obligation of Jum'ah. Okay? All right. Sheikh also says, uh, Imam al-Hajawi also says, وَلَمْ يَسِحَّ And it's not acceptable, not valid for them to lead that prayer. Now, women obviously, no doubt about that anyway. Okay, but they're talking about now the musafir. They're talking about the slave. He can't. It doesn't matter if he's a big scholar, big X, big Y, big faqih, big avid. At the top of page 18 now. If he goes in, then he can't. Okay, simple as that. And this is, uh, this is from the humbly position. As for, this, of course, this is not a strong position. And... The Hanafi school and the Shafi'i school beg to differ and they said it is absolutely valid for the Abd, the, sir, the slave, to become the Imam in the Jumu'ah. Okay? He can be. And he goes, and this is if we were even to say that he is not obligated to pray Jumu'ah. Okay? Right? So the Shafi'is and the Hanafis, they said that even if you think he's not, it is okay if he is the Imam as well. And that's, again, on the basis, we're saying all of this because we're trying to say, or the Hamdis are trying to say that he's not obligated upon to pray Jum'ah. Now, you know that we said that he is. And if we say that he is obligated to pray the Jum'ah prayer, okay, then he can also be used to make up his minimum numbers. What do you mean he can't be used as one of the, the 40? If he's obligated to pray it, and Sheikh Uthman is going to go further. He goes, even if he's not obligated or not, and if he's there and it's accepted from him, then why can't he then be used to establish the legal validity as well? There's no evidence for this. Okay? So anyway, just, just take it, whatever. He goes uh, uh, that it is, uh, uh, you know, he said that uh, according to the Hanabila, they won't accept him to be the, uh, they won't accept a slave to be the imam and they won't accept the slave to be part of the, 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 the minimum number. Um, and the musafir also. So even if the imam, go, the, the musafir is an imam, a scholar, and he goes into a village 
where you know he's passing by and the village are praying the prayer and there's you know uh, first of all we said that he can't become one of the numbers that's what the Hanbalis say and if he's a big scholar and everything and they're all ignorant and they just put one guy forward in the skin he doesn't know what he's doing he's reading off something and you know haza maza whatever and and no he can't lead the prayer he can't do, do anything like that because he's musafir uh, and if he was to do the khutbah and someone else would pray, even that's not accepted. Because the shart of the khutbah is that it's got to be someone that can lead. From the shurut of the khutbah, as we're going to see, is that it's got to be someone, okay, that can lead the prayer. So think about that. You can't, so he can't lead the prayer because he's musafir. It's not obligatory upon him. This is the argument. But he also can't even do the khutbah and get someone else to lead the prayer. Why? Because they said from the conditions of the khutbah is that the only person who can give a khutbah is the one who can lead a prayer. And they said he is not obligated to lead the prayer because he's not allowed to lead the prayer because he can't lead the prayer because he's not obligated upon him. He's not from Ahlul Wujub. Therefore, he can't even give the khutbah either. Right? And Sheikh says that, and of course today we don't see that. We see the opposite of this and that's because we follow the position of the three imams because Malik is in favor of this as well. That no, the musafir can. Okay, the, the musafir can. He can give the khutbah and he can lead the prayer. And uh, okay, and there's no evidence for the opposite. No evidence. The the mukallaf, the abd is mukallaf. He's from ahl taklif. He is a legally responsible adult. The musafir is min ahl taklif. How can we say either sallallahu how can we say that a slave, he prays behind the imam, the prayer is valid, but if he's the imam, it's not valid. Huh? There is no, yani, what's going on? All right. So that's, that's clear. All right. Whoever has an excuse, now next section, whoever has an excuse to not pray it is obligated to pray it if they attend and they can be used to establish the prayer's legal validity. And so this is talking about someone who's ill, for example. Yeah? So someone who's sick, he doesn't need to pray the Jum'ah prayer, even though it's obligated upon him. But because he's sick, the obligation has been removed from him. However, in principle, he's obligated. Unlike, according to the Hanabila, the slave, the woman, the musafir. In principle, it's not even obligated upon that person. Whereas the marid one, it, he's normal, isn't he? It's obligated upon him, but because he's sick, it's been taken away from him. However, if this sick one got himself to the masjid because he just tried really hard and he wanted to get the reward, and of course, the reward for the Jum'ah is a separate thing from the obligation. It's a kafara, it's an expiation from one Jum'ah to the next, other than the kabair. So he tries his best. If he goes, then he has to pray. If he attends, he has to pray because... The reason that it wasn't obligated is because he can't get to the masjid because he's sick. So if he gets to the masjid, someone picks him up, someone takes him, he's got to pray. And continuation of that, he is counted as part of the 40. Yani he is someone that can establish the legal prayer. By the way, this whole legal prayer means that if there's only 30, according to Hanabila, if there's a group of people and they've only got 30 of them, they can't pray Jum'ah, they have to pray Dhuhr. Just so that you understand the consequences of this point. We'll come to that later. So Sheikh says that, the thing which was preventing his obligation was the sickness not allowing him to get to the masjid. If his sickness allows him to get to the masjid, then he has to pray. All right? Sheikh says, and also the one who is khaif at the top of page 20. Khaif means someone who is not attending the Jum'ah because he fears for his life. There's some fitna going on outside. There's some kind of insurrection. There's some kind of zalimin that are after him or whatever. He doesn't need to present himself. Same as we spoke about in the Jama'ah, the congregational prayers. The same for Jama'ah as well. This is a... Ah, someone tried it. Mate, locked. Oh, by the way, I got told that you don't open the masjid this time. So that's it. I just follow instructions. You know, I've just seen... I don't know, I've just seen... I've just seen a PTI flag. <laughs> PTI is in that bad. All right. Um... Yeah. There's some actions going on. 
Should I open it? No. Because I've been told what to do. But I might be pressured, so let's play it by ear. Um, فالجواب أن المسافرة والعبد The difference, Sheikh says, yeah, so this guy who's fearing for his life, he doesn't need to attend the, the Jumu'ah. That's a legitimate reason. Sheikh says, what if someone says, well, what's the difference between this guy and the, and the Musafir and the Abd and these people? And they said, because that they are not from the people that the prayer is obligated upon in principle. Whereas the one who's it has been removed from them. Elaka, that's so aritaso. Jumat bande. That's how we speak to each other, by the way. And that's how, that's how I get spoken back to. Wait here, guys. Wait here. Razama, Razama. One second, guys. Assalamu alaikum. Khair, khodeh. Khair, ya Allah, hamushu. Khair, razi, razi. See, now that's a good reason. They need the masjid use because there is a. They need to prepare for a death, another death. So, back to the class. That's a valid excuse. We're not going to get upset at Mama for that. So, and so Sheikh says that if in that situation someone who is from the people that the prayer is obligated upon then they, when they, uh, uh, the manner is taken away from them, that which was blocking them, like the fear or the illness, then they um, are obligated to pray the prayer. Okay? All right. The next statement. Woman Dhuhra. Whoever was obligated to pray the Friday prayer, but instead offered the Dhuhr prayer before the Imam had prayed, will invalidate their prayer. What does that mean? That means, okay, man dhuhr. So I want you to imagine. Alright, by the way, hudur. Someone who was uh, Someone who was obligated to attend the masjid, not someone who was obligated the the, the Jumu'ah upon. There's a difference, right? Okay. Remember, we spoke about this last week. Something which is obligated intrinsically, and something which becomes obligated because of other pe- other people. So that this is including the musafir. So the musafir, for example, if he is not a muqim, right? Uh, uh, if a musafir, uh, 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 sorry. If a musafir comes and just pauses in an area, and in this area, I've got to make sure my guy doesn't lock me in from the inside. Laka darwazaman latqa. Laka. Although, to be honest, there are worse things than being locked in a masjid. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. I don't mind being locked in a masjid. That's okay. All right. The dramas of an LP lesson, huh? Every lesson has its own unique flavor. By the way, do you like these tiles? You know, by the way, just so they're inside, this is a mihrab, yeah? These are used in the wintertime a lot because they love the, the, the sun. So they come pray outside. Otherwise, all the prayers are inside. So this is the uh, this is the courtyard of the masjid, and inside is the actual masjid. But they pray on this uh, marble here, the one that you can see. This marble world. Anyway, 
Um, so, the, so this wording is very accurate. Whoever attends, uh, sorry, and actually I did not do a good job in the translation because I've written whoever was obligated to pray the Friday prayer and rather it should say whoever was required to or whoever should have whoever should whoever was whoever was obligated to attend the Friday prayer which is I mean it's the same thing but the, the point is is that in the wording there is an intentional difference to try to emphasize the point that sometimes something is not obligated upon me but it becomes obligated because I attended right or I have to attend, sorry, even though it's not obligated upon me. It, I, I, I mean, I don't think I'm doing a great job of it now, but I did explain this last week. Okay? So when you use the word attend, it's more accurate than obligated. Right. Anyway, there are, so there are two types of people. Um, according to the Hanbali uh, definition, the first one is someone who has to pray Jum'ah because of another person. If they do need to pray Jum'ah because of another person, they themselves do not make up the minimum number to be able to legally convene that Jum'ah. They're not seen as Ahlul Wujub. And the second type of person is someone who's obligated to pray Jum'ah by themselves. And this person, they can lead the prayer and, and do the khutbah and they can also be part of the minimum numbers. Okay? So Sheikh gives some examples. He goes, for example, a Musafir, that he comes to a, a town and there's Jum'ah in it, the Salatul Jum'ah Adhan goes, so he has to now attend. He was not obligated to pray the prayer in principle, but rather the fact that he's passing by and he pauses, if he, was, if he, was, if he stayed on the, on the motorway, or on the, on the freeway, on the route, whatever, blah de blah and didn't turn in, he wouldn't need to make that diversion. But once he's made that diversion, and they then make the Adhan, and he's now part of that community, that's it. He has to attend the Jum'ah prayer. Okay, now what is the point that we're talking about? If this person, whoever was obligated to pray the Friday prayer, and he has now been obligated, but instead offered the Dhuhr prayer before the Imam had prayed, but let's say, so he doesn't actually make the, the detour, sorry, he, he's got, made the detour in and he doesn't attend the masjid. He hears the adhan for Jum'ah and he decides to pray Dhuhr, then his prayer is invalidated. Because what he's done is done something that he's not been commanded to do. And he has left what he was commanded to do. And therefore this person did something which is not from the, 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 manner, the, the, the matters of Allah and his messenger. And he is obligated to attend the Jum'ah prayer and to pray it. And he didn't. And instead he prayed Dhuhr. But you're obligated to pray Jum'ah, not accepted from him. The Prophet ﷺ said, whoever does an action that's not from our actions and it is rejected. Then... He's, he's, he's completely يعني, uh, done everything wrong. He's, there's only, he, he hasn't يعني, done the right thing in that time. In that right time is only Jum'ah prayer for him. And he went and prayed Dhuhr. Not acceptable, rejected. And basically the one who prays Dhuhr before the Jum'ah prayer. I want you to understand and he's obligated to pray Jum'ah prayer. It's like someone who prayed Dhuhr before the, 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 the Adhan had gone. Now, if the Adhan hasn't gone for Dhuhr and you pray Dhuhr, it's so clear to see that you, you, you've done something which is not possible. Exactly the same for someone who needs to pray Jum'ah, obligated to pray Jum'ah, and you don't pray it, and instead you pray Dhuhr, just like yani, the Dhuhr is not there, just like Dhuhr before the Adhan for Dhuhr is not there. Sheikh is another example. You've got someone who lives in a land, okay? And he has his friends with him in his uh, house and the time for Dhuhr comes and they're at home, there's like 20 of you, okay, you're at home. And the time for Dhuhr enters in and uh, it's Jum'ah and you don't go to the Jum'ah and you guys say, you know what, we're just going to pray Dhuhr and you guys pray Dhuhr, invalidated, invalidated. The third example person who's right on the edges, on the outskirts of the town, but he's part of the town, but he knows that he can't make Jum'ah, he's late. He looks at his watch and he goes, if I rush and this, that, I'm not going to make Jum'ah. Now, according to the author, if he says, man, I'm not going to make it, so then he prays Dhuhr because he knows he's not going to make it. 
then this is rejected according to the statement of Imam al-Hajjawi. Even if he knows that if he was to set off, he wouldn't make it. So they said, well, it doesn't matter. He can't. Okay? Um, so what this person needs to do what, So imagine you're that person okay? Imagine that you're that guy Who can't make the Jum'ah prayer And you know you can't What do you do? Well that can happen sometimes And it is what it is You missed out on a massive opportunity And if you were negligent Then you might be held accountable for that But anyway in the case it is gone now So now you've got to pray dhuhr But you've got to wait Wait for the imam to finish and then you pray your dhuhr. Wait for the imam to finish the Jum'ah prayer. You've got to make an estimate. And then you pray your dhuhr prayer. But there's, Sheikh says, but there's also an opinion. It has been said that he can pray dhuhr. Um, if he knows that he's definitely not going to be making Jum'ah. If he knows that he definitely cannot make it. Okay, because... What's the point yani, of waiting? The whole point of waiting is to allow the possibility of him making Jum'ah. But if he knows that he is impossible, like he looks at his watch now, he just come out of the bathroom and the, 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 the khutbah started 20 minutes ago and the prayer is going to start right now. He knows that he's missing the prayer. So what's the point of... Uh, or he's only got five minutes to get there and he knows that it's 20 minutes away, whatever. What's the point of waiting five minutes? Just pray then. That's it. He can pray. Because there's no benefit in the waiting. And I have to say that this is my position as well. That if a person knows that they cannot make the Jum'ah and they didn't intentionally want to miss the Jum'ah, this person can pray the Dhuhr prayer because he knows that he can't make it. Okay? As for the one who was not... This is all to do with people who are obligated to pray Jum'ah. As for the one who is not obligated to pray the Jum'ah, right? And they prayed the Dhuhr prayer before the Imam prays the Jum'ah prayer, i.e. like a woman at home, then this is permissible. Okay? Even if the Imam has not prayed. Even if the Imam has not prayed. مثال ذلك مريض مرضاً يعني there is a person who's ill and his sickness is such a level of sickness that his Jum'ah is gone. And he prays the Salatul Dhuhr before the Salatul Jum'ah, then this prayer is valid because he was not obligated to pray Jum'ah in the first place. This is a sick person or a lady. Okay? No problem for them to do that. However, the Sheikh then says, Imam al Hajawi says, But it's better to wait until after the Imam has finished. Now, that, I see that, you know, we're in the village, always used to uh, see, you know, the ladies, they wouldn't pray, and they would wait, and they would say that we are waiting. So the people, them, my guy came and gave me a cushion to sit on, nice guy. I said to him, listen. We are simple peoples. We're not big men like you. That's the Maulvi of the, the uh, thingy. Anyway. Um, Shazad's watching this and he's thinking, you made us get you a seat from Amazon that reclines, whatever. Now, I just want to say, I did that. Did I insist or did Shazad insist? I can't remember to be honest, but it's a nice seat by the way. I miss my seat. It's a nice seat. A grey colour, nice one. Anyway. Um, so they said it's better to wait for the Imam, not obligatory, but it's better for the Imam to have prayed and the people wait at home. Okay. Uh Although it doesn't make sense for the women. It makes sense for the sick one. And the reason they used to say it for the sick one is because it gives them extra time. Ross. Oh no, watch this. This is important.
He described the, the deceased as the son of so-and-so and the brother of so-and-so. He says that, um, I hope that everyone will attend the Salatul Janazah at 5 o'clock uh, later on in the uh, area of the Janazah. The Janazah is held outside, you see, it's somewhere which is, is done in the external kind of areas. And so he made the announcement. And obviously one of the interesting things about the way that these um, uh, the, 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 the institution of the Adhan and the Mu'addin is not just for the Salah. This is why we said that the action of Abdullah bin Abbas is an addition that he adds to the Adhan to say, stay at home, stay at home. They would make the announcements of the Mu'addin would stand high. It's like a public announcement, isn't it? Today we use WhatsApp, today we use, you know, whatever. But here they actually use the Mu'addin to make these announcements and get people ready. So today there'll be a janazah at five. It's, it's interesting that you're able to see that live in, uh, in uh, process. Oh, so, the, and now what Sheikh said something, something very interesting. He said that for the sick one, it is good, all right, because يعني ممكن يزول عذرهن يعني the 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 people like who are sick or whatever by waiting they got another chance. But for the women this can't apply because it's not possible يعني for their excuse to not attend the Juma to go because they're not obligated in the first place, right? فالأفضل أن تصلي الظهر في أول الوقت and so therefore they should pray at the beginning time, regardless of whether the Imam has prayed or started the, 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 the khutbah. Because why? Because the time prayed at the beginning of the, the prayer, prayed, prayed in the beginning time, is better than the prayer prayed in the end of time. إذا كان من لا تلزمه الجمعة ممن يرجى أن يزول عذره ويدركها فالأفضل أن ينتظر. So if the uh, we, we can summarize the whole point and saying that the person who is not obligated to go to the Jum'ah because of a reason and it's hoped that that could possibly be lifted and a person might catch the Jum'ah prayer, then it's better that that person waits and doesn't pray the Dhuhr prayer. وإذا كان and if it's a person that there's absolutely no hope, no point, no uh, uh, whatever, um, like a woman or like someone who's very, very sick, then it doesn't matter about that person. That person, Yani, should pray at the beginning time. Why? Because to pray at the beginning time is the best form of the uh, prayer. By the way, I just want to, want to mention that just like the, the sick one is not obligated to attend the Jumu'ah prayer, also the one who's nursing that person, whether it's the father or a daughter or a mother or a son, Male, normal. This is an excuse to look after that person. This is an excuse, and it's something which is a um, uh, a legal. Yeah, and likewise, the scholars mentioned He said that a person, for example, who is a doctor. Now, I didn't like this statement, to be honest. Not just because I don't like doctors. Nah. Um, but that's not, I think, what, I think what he's saying and what people are understanding from him are two different things. What he's saying is someone who's in the middle of like surgery, someone who is like, you know, out with a person who's dependent upon him. Not normal guys who are working in a hospital or a practice because a hospital and a practice has a system where a doctor is covered in shifts and there's a lunch and there's this and there's that. And never is the, never is the hospital uh, or, or the center or whatever left yani, unattended or a person is completely you know, at, the, at, the, at the mercy of, you know what I mean? Yeah? And so therefore, I don't think that this is right. I really don't. I think that uh, uh, people who are working, and obviously if you are one of those that can't get out of a shift or in a bad situation or in an emergency situation, that's something else. But I mean, don't just say, oh, every single doctor, he said to a doctor that's like that, like, you know, doctor, no. 
It means those folks who are in that scenario, otherwise it's part of shift work, as part of what, what you have to attend the Jummah. Uh, and I think what we'll finish off with then, and it is not permissible for the one, what? It is not permissible for the one whom the Friday prayer is obligatory upon to travel after the start time of Dhuhr on Friday. So obviously women and everything, they can travel anytime during the daytime. And the one who is a traveler can carry on traveling. But the one who is not traveling, what's the, what's the crack with that person? What's the crack with that person? Well, normal person, can I leave after the, the adhan has started? This is the key. This is the discussion. After the adhan. Okay? Right? Because it says zawal. What is zawal? Zawal is the start time of dhuhr. And that's when the adhan starts. Even if the khutbah is like two hours later. Imagine that. This is what Imam al-Hajjah is saying. First of all, what's the evidence? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, When the call to the Jum'ah prayer is given, then rush to the prayer and leave off your trade. Verse 9. So this, yani rushing towards it and leaving off the bayah, means also leaving off traveling. Yani how can you, Allah say, leave off trading, rush to the prayer, but you can travel. Doesn't make any sense. Yeah, okay. So... Uh, but Sheikh Uthameen makes a point. He goes, the problem here, though, is that the author based the rule on zawal. He didn't make the ruling on the adhan. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, إِذَا نُودِيَ لِلصَّلَاةِ مِنْ يَوْمِ الْجُمْعَةِ He didn't say that إِذَا زَالَ الشَّمْسِ He didn't say غُرُوبُ الشَّمْسِ Remember, we, the sunset is two, right? The first sunset right now is very soon. Yep, when the sun sets from high point. The second sunset is when it's on the horizon and it sets underneath. That's Maghrib. This is the first Ghurub of Shams, first setting. Then that's the last setting after Asr, right? And so Allah didn't say when the sun sets or when the Zawal starts. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, When the prayer is being called, which is the Adhan. And the Adhan is not the Adhan of Dhuhr, it's the Adhan of the Salah. And that's what we know that the Prophet sallallahu would start the khutbah when he would give the he would uh, get the, the they would they would make the khutbah when he would arrive for salah. He'd sit down on his mimbar and the adhan would be given. Okay. And but why did the why did uh, the author choose zawal? Because zawal, of course, is the start time of uh, Jummah. That's the reason he used it, which makes sense. That I, if the time starts, then then that's it. Sheikh says no. I'd rather that he didn't do that. I prefer, Sheikh says, well, Ola, he goes, it's better that you don't yani, uh, use logic too much and put it based upon the time. But rather, but rather that he should connect the, 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 the start point, not with the time, but with what Allah did, which is the call to the prayer. Because it's possible for the Imam to delay the Jumu'ah prayer and not pray after Zawal. Even though the Prophet used to make the Jumu'ah khutbah right on Zawal, by the way. Five, ten minutes, bam. But we'll come to that. But it's possible. One, two hours, whatever. Or maybe the Imam's late, get the, the Masjid gets a phone call, the guy's caught, caught up in traffic, it's going to take him two hours. You're not meant to give that second adhan. Right? Or in some arguments, the first adhan. On Jumu'ah, there is no adhan. Until the Imam sits down And some said this is not the second adhan But the point is, is that the adhan for the salah, the khutbah Is done only when the Imam comes So, Sheikh says that What is the mu'tabar The activating point Is the call to the prayer Not the original point And what the author Sheikh, I want you to listen to this now This is a nice ending to the class Sheikh Uthameen says What the author has done Imam al-Hajawi alayhi rahmatullah is the same thing as what other, some other scholars did. Actually, to be honest, the majority of scholars did. In a famous hadith, uh, uh, well, in a famous issue, whoever sells a tree, yeah, after the, uh, you can see the buds of the fruit starting, so it's sprouted, yeah, so you've sprouted, you can see the buds and everything. The beginnings of the fruit starting to show, coming up, ripening. Then there's a discussion. Who gets the fruit? I sold you the tree, but what about the fruit? Yeah? 
And they said that the one who buys a tree buys the fruit. Sorry, the one who buys a tree gets the fruit. The one who buys the tree gets the fruit. And they based the ruling on a tashakkuk. Yeah? However, tashakkuk means the sprouting, the ripening. However, the Prophet ﷺ in the hadith didn't say that. On the had, in the hadith on the matter, he said, Man Okay. Whoever sells a tree after they have pollinated it, after they have fertilized it, after they have pollinated it, then the fruit is for the one who sells it. Okay? Not at the shakkuk. Yani what? فعلقوا الحكم على التشقق قالوا لأن التشقق هو سبب تأبير فعلق الحكم به والجواب أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم علق حكم تأبير فلا يمكن أن نلغي ما علق الشارع حكم الحكم عليه So what Sheikh says this is bit يعني thing let me explain this point They said that what happened is it is the tashakkuk which happens and that tashakkuk, yeah? You know, I don't think I did a great job of this. Let me, let me, let me say this again. They said, the people who said that the one who buys the tree, right? They get the, the, fruit, the fruit The hadith of the Prophet ﷺ said that whoever fertilizes the tree Hold on, have I translated this correctly? One second guys I did. Got confused for a second. So whoever has uh, uh, sold the tree, okay, they get to keep the fruit. I, I think I said, you know what, I, I, I'm actually I'm not even sure what I said. I'm not actually even sure what I said. I can't remember. But anyway, you can go back, whatever. But, but, but just, just, just listen to me here. Whoever sells the tree, Okay, they get, what is this all about? This is all about understanding, like zakat, the effort and the, the, uh, the work which has gone into something and everyone getting a fair deal. When a person is buying a tree, they're buying a long-term product. Okay, it's not for the harvest of that moment. It's not for the short term, they're buying it for the long term. And so we want them to have the long-term usufruct of that item. But when, you're, when you are selling a tree or an orchard or an area of, of, of uh, 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 agriculture, the understanding is that this is a, a labor of love, that you're going to invest money into it, and all the money that you put into it, then it's going to then become a return, etc. And the idea is if there's a person that not only sells you that, but also put in the effort and fertilized it at great expense and of time and cost, then they get the the, the fruit, right? They get the fruit And if you want to You as the buyer Want the fruit as well You've got to pay for that separate Like goodwill When you're selling a shop That's got items in there Right? Like when you, when you sell a pharmacy Let me tell you Let me give you some person example When you sell a pharmacy you have two prices that make up the final sale price, right? The, uh, uh, let's say you don't even own the building. Let's say that someone else owns the building, okay? You're paying rent. So then how do you sell the pharmacy? Well, I sell the business, 
and the business has two parts. You're going to carry on paying the rent to the guy. But the two parts that are going to make up the components of this shop are one, all of the stock and all the medicines and all the, the you know, the bloody blah in the shop. That's like 50 grand, for example. And I want 200 grand on top. The 200 grand is what you're actually selling, which is the business name, the fact that the customers come there, patients, and they don't want to go anywhere else, and so they're going to keep coming, and that's going to keep you a constant source of revenue from the National Health Service because they're going to keep paying you because most of those people won't go anywhere. That's what you're buying. The items themselves is not actually what you're buying. We, 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 we do a separate deal for that. Your guy comes in, my guy comes in, we make a big estimate, count them, do an audit, give it a value, you pay for that separate. You don't want to pay for that, I'm going to take it with me. Do you understand? The stock is the short-term benefit, the shop is the long-term benefit. You're paying for the shop, the long-term benefit, not the immediate stock. You want the stock, pay extra. This is the same point here. If you sell a tree, you're buying the tree for the long-term, not for the fruit that's actually on it right now. You want the fruit, you're going to pay separate. Okay. The question is now, how do we determine the cost of the fruit? What did they say? They said that tashakuk means the sign that the fruit has appeared. So when the fruit has appeared, and only once the fruit has appeared, and that shows the yani, that that is the you know the score. We don't need to wait around or whatever, whatnot. Then that's going to go to the uh, the seller. He has the right of holding it back. In other words, he has the right to say to you, "Look, look, that's now nearly done. Look, only a few more weeks, few more months, and it's going to be full. You can see it there. Okay, so you're going to have to give me a separate price for that now." Okay, so they said that only when that has happened can you charge extra for the fruit that's about to come. Only when it's clearly shown. Sheikh Uthamin says, no, the hadith doesn't say that. The hadith says that whoever sells a tree after they have pollinated it, then the fruit belongs to the seller. You don't have to wait for the shakh. You don't have to wait for the shakuk. As long as the seller, the buyer, he knows that you pollinated it because it was maybe you saw it. That's the reason that he likes a tree. You've seen it over the years. You produce good results. And he sees you've done that. And you, you know, he knows. And he can see that you've pollinated it. But it's just not come out yet. No. You can still say, I'm selling you the tree. And by the way, this is going to sell fruit as well. So I'm going to take this. Okay? Especially when it comes afterwards. Don't have to, you don't have to do the, 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 the sale in advance. This is about afterwards. Yeah? Uh, so they said, some scholars said, it's tapu'an tashakkuk. And Shaykh Uthameen says, no. How can we say tashakkuk when the Prophet ﷺ said ta'bir? How can you make the ruling based upon it coming out when the Prophet ﷺ said pollinate? And there's no sign. There's months after. That's months before, isn't it? Yeah? The, the coming out. Coming out comes happens ages afterwards. Sheikh says, we can't suddenly just invalidate the wording of the Prophet and imagine that it wasn't there and say that it's nothing to do with ta'bir. Uh, uh, That's what he said. Sheikh says, exactly the same is for this issue of the prayer. You can't say zawal. Why can you, how, can, how can you say zawal when the Prophet made the hukam based upon the call to prayer? He was giving an example. We did all of that detour, that, that tangent to explain the, the, the invalidity of saying zawal He should say the call to prayer Don't change what the actual ruling is Even though yours makes sense And the tashakkuk thing makes sense as well But how can you say that when the Prophet ﷺ made it an earlier point Here is the opposite in terms of time But how can you say zawal When the Prophet ﷺ said it's the later point Do you get the point? I hope that this made sense And inshallah in the uh, chat group we'll discuss it Inshallah Okay uh, Anyway Next point, final point. Therefore, this means that after Zawal, you can't travel. What about before Zawal? What about in the morning? Can you? Many scholars said yes. Because you are not obligated to pray Jum'ah before the Zawal time. And therefore, it is permissible to do that. However, many scholars dislike that. Many scholars dislike that. They said that this is missing out on something which is great and so on. And this is not good. And by the way, there's also some statements of some scholars that said that actually the time for Jum'ah has a kind of general time and it starts in the morning 
at the time of Fajr. And therefore, that's why some scholars said that a person can't travel after Fajr either. But the evidence for that is not very strong. And I, I prefer what Sheikh Uthameen said, that it's after Zawal, which is haram, before Zawal it is permissible. Sheikh says that there are some exceptions to this. For example, if a person is worried that their people will leave, right? They're part of a traveling party and the adhan goes, but suddenly they're gone. Yeah? Basically has to go. Then that's something which is allowed. He's allowed to do that. Uh, or another example is that the adhan for Jumu'ah goes. Uh, even the time Zawal has entered and the adhan for your Jumu'ah goes. You still can go and travel if you know for definite that you'll make another Jumu'ah a little bit later on the way. That's an exception. By the way, to close the class, on the issue of a person who's worried about yani, their people leaving, we spoke about that a couple of months back. This basically in modern time is your flight. So let's say that your flight is at 2 o'clock or 3 o'clock or 4 o'clock. That's well into the, your, 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 you're not traveling during the Zuhr time. That means technically you are obligated to go Jumu'ah. Let's say you're at home, you live close to the airport, right? Do you need to go Jumu'ah? Answer is no, no, you don't. Because you know that if you don't leave at the time of Jumu'ah or before Jumu'ah, you're going to miss that flight. This is the way that security is, airports, this, that, whatever. And so therefore a person that needs to fly, even if the flight is after Jumu'ah and uh, this person, or he needs to leave during the time of Jumu'ah, after the Adhan, after the Salah has started, or the Adhan has gone, because he's going to miss his flight, he's allowed to do that. Wallahu ta'ala a'lam, that completes that entire section that was eight pages, by the way. Alhamdulillah, Baraka, Baraka. All right, Jazakumullah khair. Sorry for the, my head getting mixed up and me confusing things and uh, coming and going, but it's a unique yani, experience. And I want to say that Jazakumullah khair to all the people that have been sending messages and uh, the like. Uh, please don't uh, 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 send more messages. I, I have all, I'm not that kind of guy. You know, there are people, by the way, who are very sensitive. He didn't come, he didn't send this, didn't say that. Well, I am not that guy. And alhamdulillah, neither is my missus. Right? We're not that people. I am very strict on that. And I don't like it. Right? And in chat groups, I don't like it as well. One person makes a dua, everyone should just like it. And put the, like, do that. Respect to you all. May Allah, may Allah accept all of your du'as and all of your condolences. Don't need anything more. He's a wonderful man. I'm worried for myself, not him. Alayhi rahmatullah, rahmatun wasi'ah. Allahumma rahamma utana utan waslimin. Washfi mardana wa muslimin. Zakumullah khair, guys. Fiqh of death, make sure that you realize how important this is. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika shadu wa la ilaha 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 